This podcast is brought to you by Kingdom at Work. If you're a business leader needing to get away from the daily grind and receive fresh vision, make sure to visit them online, www.kingdomatwork.com, kingdomatwork.com. Hey, welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon as Martha and I bring to you a conversation that needs to be had across the globe, but we're going to have that conversation here today, right here on I Work For Him. But before we get to our guest and the conversation, Martha, first, tell people how they can engage with us online. Well, online, Jim, um, I've started something new and we won't have one necessarily today, although we may have our own um, YouTube we have been posting little after interview um, conversations with our guests on YouTube. And so that is just one way that people can um, get to us. And that is YouTube. Just look for the I Work For Him channel. So um, everything else, IWorkForHim.com. We love to hear from people about what God is doing in their sphere of influence. And they can do that through our contact page or call us on our listener line. That's right. And that listener line, 866-713-9675, 866-713-9675. Seven one three work. All right. Thanks to all of you listening all over Tampa Bay, all over Jacksonville, the first coast area from from Folkestone, Georgia, down to St. Augustine, Georgia, from Ocala, Florida, down to Fort Myers and all the way over to Disney. We just pray. Just know that we prayed for you before the show started, that something we say today will cause you to dig deeper into your faith and connecting your faith in your work and an understanding your role within the kingdom. All right. Fifty nine percent of millennials who grew up in church are no longer attending church. Why? They hold a negative view of Christians. Why? 87% view Christians as judgmental. 85% view Christians as hypocritical. 91% view Christians as anti-homosexual. And 70% view Christians as insensitive to others. Holy smokes. How do we get here? What's the solution? How do we save this next generation and save our country from going the way of Europe and Canada where God is an outcast and Christians are an annoyance and not viewed favorably in any way? But wait, there is a solution, a simple solution, and the numbers aren't all bad. Here to talk about this today is Grant Skeldon. He's with the Initiative Network out of Dallas, Texas. Grant is a millennial, and he's dedicated his life to helping the next and previous generations each understand each other. And he's written an excellent book that I've read, that I've read recently called The Passion Generation, the seemingly reckless, definitively disruptive, but far from hopeless millennials. Grant Skeldon, welcome back to I Work For Him. Hey, what's up, y'all? We're, we're excited to have you. Grant, before we get back to, uh, because it's been a couple of years since we've had you on here, why don't you tell people how you became a follower of Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was very lucky. It was the very first time I actually uh, went to church on my own volition. Uh, my mom would take me to church often, but uh, me and my younger brothers, we never really wanted to go. And my dad, he didn't, you could tell he didn't really want to go either. But my mom, she's uh, the youngest of 14. Um, she's a very strong-willed woman, and she would get us to go to church. Um, basically, um, I really put on the throne of my heart a girlfriend of three years, and I was high school, in high school, and then basketball. And I had what was like the worst week of my life when that girlfriend cheated on me. And I kind of talk about this in the book. And then I also got kicked off the basketball team in one week. And it was just, it was terrible. I didn't know who I was anymore, what I was going to do. The things I had dedicated my life and was vulnerable with had kind of betrayed me. And about a month later, I go to church um, because I was actually looking. I had heard there was a lot of girls there, but uh, God had other plans, Um, heard the gospel, heard how I should invest my life in things that would matter in 10,000 years and uh, gave my life to Christ. Two weeks later, got discipled and really have never looked back since then. That was March 8, 2006. 
you know, you just you kind of spoiled my next question. But I wanted you, you talk about, OK, the best day of my life. And then you in your book, you say, what was the second most important day of your life? Yeah, definitely. So most statistically, most people come to Christ when they're uh, younger than 18. Um, and I, like them, uh, gave my life when I was 16. However, I was extremely fortunate to have a man named Kevin Batista, who was a youth pastor at the time of that church. Um, the youth ministry was 600 kids in the high school ministry alone. And that guy just saw something in me, and he saw the school that I went to, and he knew kind of the background I came from was a little rough, and just decided, he kind of told me, hey, I'd love to take you under my wing. I think it's going to be hard to live out your faith if you don't have community and if you don't have a Christian father. And so if, you, if you're willing, I'll take you under my wing. And he, uh, I said yes. And then bigger, not bigger than that, but also he let me join this small group of students that were basically the leadership team over the 600-person uh, high school ministry. And so I went from, like, not a Christian, not in church often, definitely didn't see myself like I belong there, to now on a leadership team with, like, 12 others uh, over one of the largest young high school ministries in the city of Dallas, which Dallas has some huge churches. And so this, this really shifted how I perceived myself. And, like, I, it made me grow up really quickly. But it was, it was, I would say, yeah, the second biggest day of my life was when I got discipled. So instead of wandering and trying to figure out my faith like most young people do, um, I, I realized, I don't know, he, he poured into me and invested in me and really set a new trajectory for the rest of my life. Mm, that's fabulous. So we are talking today with Grant Skeldon. He is the founder of the Initiative Network. And we're going to be talking today about this new book that he's written called The Passion Generation. So... Grant, as you got involved in, in your um, youth group and were a leader in that, at what point in your life did you realize that the church really had lost its way and was losing the millennials right along with it? Where did that come from? I think uh, definitely a couple years after my salvation, I started uh, very quickly. I also got asked to lead on a nonprofit. I actually, when I was 19 years old, so three years after my salvation, I got asked to be a board member for a nonprofit. Just a guy who was pretty forward-thinking and wanted a younger perspective. Um, and so he asked me to do that. And that I think that's huge for me because I... I don't know, if you're given big responsibilities at a young age, you start to like sober up and think, if I'm really going to lead and if I'm going to be who they want me to be, I've got to stop playing video games all the time or just wasting all my time or being on Facebook all the time. I got to, I mean, honestly, uh, you guys would appreciate your community. It, it forced me, when I got asked to join that board, I, start, uh, I went to Barnes & Noble and I was like, I need to read a book on leadership. And so I went to the clerk or the person at the front and I asked, what's the most popular book on leadership. And they said, how to win friends and influence people. That's what this lady said. So I was like, great. I'll, I went to go read it. I saw that like millions of copies had been sold. And so I, I read it and I was like, this book is incredible. Um, and all that led to just, I think being discipled led to me asking harder questions that maybe I didn't feel, I wouldn't have felt uh, were necessary if I just hung out with other young people. Um, but as I got older, I started being around uh, a lot of older leaders that would ask me, hey, why aren't other young people like you? Um, and that's when I realized, you know, I think most what I see is that most young people didn't have older people invest in them like I had. Right. I, was, I had one person who led to another person who just kept leading to a community of godly, wiser leaders. And I think that's been the differentiator is I haven't seen that as a natural part of most young Christian stories. Mm -hmm. So so if we were to say, what is the solution to the problem today 
in the body of Christ where we're, and it's really, as you describe in your book, it's not necessarily a problem in the greater body of Christ, but within the four walls church, what is the solution to attracting and keeping millennials as part of that local body within the four walls of the church? Yeah, well, to me, the premise of the book is that we don't have a millennial problem. We actually have a discipleship problem. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like if you want to reach every generation until Jesus comes back, instead of trying to get skinny jeans or do really cool stuff and get tattoos or whatever it is, that's what church leaders will think sometimes. Uh, For the business world, I don't know. They all say, like, get a really cool vibe. And you're, I mean, I I heard a a really, really experienced, trusted leader say, like, if you want millennials to work with you, get, like, really cool tables and coffee shop it's always very like i don't know superficial stuff that stuff doesn't hurt i just don't think that's the core of it i think you create a culture where the older leaders like passionately want to pour into the next generation leaders because they they care more about the legacy of the organization um that man young people will line up to work for a community and culture instead of trying to criticize them truly wants to coach them and i would even say as you guys know um, a lot of parents they came up from a culture where we're very coddled and now we join the workplace and we're very criticized and that's where i feel like the workplace christian uh, marketplace what if it could be the place where it's like you work here and it's a culture of coaching and leveraging and launching and so i again i think i think the problem isn't just millennials i think it's discipleship and so we'll always have a problem with the next generation as long as we don't disciple them right we're talking today with grant skeldon he's one of the founders of the initiative network out of dallas texas i want you to check it out initiativenetwork.org but he's written a book that is just now releasing in fact we're going to find out from him in a second when it is releasing but it's called the passion generation the seemingly reckless definitively disruptive but far from hopeless millennials grant skeldon welcome back to i work for him hey guys how are y'all all right, so talk to me about, is this book released now, or is this almost released? When When is this book going to be out there and available on Amazon and everywhere else? Yeah, that's a funny question. So it released last week, November 6th, but, and it is on Amazon, but the sales have gone really, really good. But if you go online now, it actually says you can get it shipped in a month or three. Um, so it's, <laughs> they're kind of low. They're really low. But I talked to my publisher today, and they're going to, they said, by uh Tomorrow they'll be they'll they they're shipping a whole new batch of books and um, all that should be fixed. But yeah, they've been it's done really really excellent. The number one release in four different categories on Amazon. So you're well, saying congratulations? That, yeah, congratulations! That's you're excellent. saying your publisher didn't believe you when you said you were writing a bestseller. Is what you're saying? <laughs> you never know. I, I we, so you know one time I was speaking at a conference and Francis Chan for me is my favorite speaker. We all have like some pastor or leader that influences us a lot. And I was speaking at a conference at the same time at a breakout as Francis Chan. And I'm like, guys, I can't. One, I'm like, why would y'all put me at the same time? Like everyone's gonna choose him. Why would they choose me? They don't even know who I am. But I, so I was gonna joke like once my breakout started and like the five people showed up, I say let's just get single file line and go to Francis Chan's breakout. But what was crazy is like 800 people showed up into my breakout. It was a huge thing because I was like, why are y'all giving me this huge room too? And I was like, there's no way. But all these people showed up, and that's when I really realized. This is such a pain point for pastors who are trying to reach millennials. It's such a pain point for business leaders that are trying to even just retain millennials, and especially for parents that are trying to raise millennials. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that, you know, Brent is an incredible communicator. 
But this is a big pain point on a daily level for most leaders. And so I think that's a big part of why it's done so well is there's a lot of books about millennials. There's almost none by millennials. And so it would be like a book written all by men on what women want and need. And I I think men could do that. (laughs) Kind of an interesting book. It would be interesting, but it may not fly off the shelves at the beginning. Who knows? But yeah, and I don't know. I don't. You could tell me, but I don't know. Would you highly recommend that to all the other men uh, to um, figure out women? No, I don't. I don't think so. But and but I think you are so right because you are saying um, you have a voice because you are a part of the generation that you're talking about, and um, so. You, but yet you have taken great strides. You told us in the first segment. You know, you went out and. You said, I want to read a book on leadership when you were put in a leadership role. And, you know, God has given you a driving force to um, prepare you to be able to speak on behalf of your generation and your and yeah. people are listening. Yeah. And and we, Jim and I, are both very excited about that because um, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And Jim was alluding to it at the end of the um, last segment, too, where when you said, you know, we don't have a millennial problem, we have a discipleship Amen, problem. Amen, brother. And when he said, um, you know, we've heard that we've heard that concept a thousand times, but not in this context. And I think that yeah. one yeah. of the things we struggle with in the conversation is what is discipleship? Yeah. So can, let's address that. How how would you define discipleship? Yeah, my definition for discipleship is as simple as I can make it, and I want it to be a template that a mother could do, a CEO could do, a college student could do. And so my definition is just as frequently following someone who is spiritually a step ahead. Um, very key words is hmm. frequently. It doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every week. Um, I know we live in a very busy culture, and so I wanted to make it where you could be a mom, you could be a father, you could be a CEO, you could be a college student, you could be whatever, and you could frequently find some time. It has to feel like you are frequently following someone. And then spiritually a step ahead, I chose that intentionally because a lot of people uh, will either say they're too busy, and so that's where my definition of discipleship is not meeting with someone, it's following someone. Therefore, it doesn't require extra time or extra an event on your calendar. And usually what I say when I ask someone to disciple me or I'm to disciple someone, I say to the person, let's say I'm going to ask someone to disciple me, I say, I'm not asking you to add something to your calendar. I'm just asking you to include me in your calendar. And so me, like the disciples, if I want to be discipled by you, they said a couple of times that they left everything they knew to follow him. And so right. for, for me, I need to be able to leave some of the, my routine and my structure and my schedule so that I can join my disciplers life. Mm. And I think if you're a young single, and this is for millennials, this is why I think discipleship is so key to reaching millennials. You know, we are very passionate, but the one thing I keep saying, and you guys understand this, are y'all both married? Yep. And yeah, we're married to each other. Oh, no, I actually didn't know that. Awesome. Okay. Well, you guys know this. do you guys have, how many kids do y'all have? We have three kids. We have two millennials okay. and an Xer. Okay. I I have found, so you guys are married, you have kids, and you're leading and starting different, like, clearly this uh, podcast and everything else y'all do. I have I always tell young people, you know what? I've never seen leaders who are married that have kids that are just, like, twiddling their thumbs, thinking every day, I wonder what I'm going to do with all this free time. <laughs> yeah, I know that. They're, like, trying to figure out where they can find some extra time. And so I always tell young leaders, when you're when you're older, especially you have those those goals.
golden handcuffs, if you will. Um, you you have wisdom because you have experience. But for us as young singles, our greatest commodity is free time. Like I know you don't think you have free time because we commit to like all these different things that are necessary. I was like, pick a few things, but make sure one of those things is get discipled by someone who's spiritually a step ahead of you that's doing something that you feel like God's calling you to do. And you can learn so much more than you can learn in college or anywhere else because you're following someone who's doing what you feel called to do. That that so helped me. And so anyway, discipleship for me is frequently following someone who is spiritually a step ahead. Um, and the key word is following, not just meeting with them. I think mentorship is when you meet with someone, but discipleship is when you follow someone. Right. It's living life together, living a life alongside each other. Hey, we're talking with Grant Skeldon today. You, He's written his brand new book, The Passion Generation. You could find it online. He wrote alongside with Ryan Casey Waller. Talk to us about Ryan. We didn't get him on the air today. We, what was the collaboration in putting this book together with Ryan? Yeah. You know, I've actually, I put off writing a book for about two years because I really do actually struggle. I did struggle a lot at writing at first. I just, I'm very extemporaneous when I preach and speak. I actually, I joke that it's like Stephen the Martyr speaking, kind of like that dude didn't wake up and write the sermon thinking, I'm going to die today, but I want to say these last words. He just, he had it, he was obedient every day and it came out of who, who he was and how he lived. Similar to Prince Chan, that dude just like does a sermon like right off the spot because he's, I would say his sermon prep is daily obedient. So he has a ton of content to build off of. However, writing a book is a lot harder to do that. And so I needed a writer, and I went to some wiser, older leaders that I trusted, and three different people that don't even know each other, they all said, you should check out this guy who's an Episcopal priest in Dallas. And I was like, really? Episcopal priest, you think, would be a good writer? But three different people recommended him. And for me, that was like, wow. okay, God, let me, let me meet this guy. And we hit it off right away. He's great at taking my content. And I'm, I, I do a lot of these like little tweetable one-liners, and he's great at turning. If it was just me, I would have had a whole bunch of tweetable one-liners. Um, if he's <laughs> able to like create great stories behind it and like build out and transform uh, the way I write. Oh, that's I also love him because he's married, and I think he's, he's in his mid-30s. I'm 28 now. I was 27 when I wrote the book. And so we represent a good portion of millennials because most people, when they think of millennials, I feel like they think of young, single hipsters. And so I can represent those kids. (laughs) But then he's that young married millennial that has kids and is thinking a lot differently than like the college kids. Well, when we first heard you speak in Dallas in 2016, I knew that the Lord had a huge calling on your life because of your ability to address a crowd that was 20, 30, 40, 50, and 60 years older than you, and you had them spellbound because yeah. because they were all looking for solutions. I mean, and, and if they weren't, uh, that's just, I want to say shame on them, because it literally, the body of Christ has been struggling with What's going on? Why are we losing people? Why are we why are we losing engagement within Christianity? And it, it, with, with, why are, why are we have less Christ followers today as a percentage of our country than we ever had before? But it all goes down to that one word that you used. It's discipleship. We've stopped living life alongside of each other. We've gotten so busy doing the things that we do that we stopped investing our lives into the next generation. Grant Skeldon is one of the founders of the Initiative Network out of Dallas, Texas. Boy, it's something you should have your millennial check out. Hard one to get into, but a phenomenal discipleship program. Check it out online, initiativenetwork.org. But today we're not talking about the Initiative Network. We've done that in the past, and you can look that up on iWorkRim.com. 
Today we're talking about Grant's book, The Passion Generation. The seemingly reckless, definitely disruptive, definitely. Did I get that right this time, Grant? Yes, you did. Okay, good. Definitely disruptive, but far from hopeless millennials. Grant, I want to talk about, so you're saying the solution to the issue of why we can't engage millennials in our churches, in the four walls church. It's not that millennials aren't following Jesus. They're just not attracted to church. And it's because you say they're looking for something. What is it that they're looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think they are looking for a cause to fight for. I think they're looking for a community to belong to. But I think discipleship is that cause that the church has. And I think where there should be a culture and community of disciples. Uh, Christians are great disciple makers. They're great at investing in the next generation. I, my hope is that in the future, I want to normalize discipleship so that whenever the world is struggling with generational tension, they would actually be surprised that the church is so uniquely different because we have a a high value on discipleship. Uh, One of the jokes I say in the book is, if I was running for president, I would have a big red hat and I would say, just simply do this, make the commission great again. Mm, well, in about 12 years, you can run for president, and we can put that on a hat, and, and I'll vote for you. I think it'd be fantastic. All right, but you, your description of discipleship was frequent, frequently following someone who is spiritually ahead. No, he was spiritually a step ahead. Excuse me. Frequently following someone who is spiritually a step ahead. Talk to us personally. How did discipleship impact Grant Skeldon? Yeah, I mean, discipleship still is impacting me, always will impact me. I love one of the things about discipleship also for listeners here, uh, those who are a little older, or uh, some people don't like being called older, so I I use the phrase, uh, those who are chronologically superior. Um, (laughs) Those people. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) That's hilarious. Chronologically superior? Is that what you just said I was? Okay. It's a it is. So, it, it, it's a good spin. <laughs> yeah, and so, but, but honestly, though, uh, joking aside, for those who are older, I I can't imagine if you you're always hearing everyone talk about millennials, 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 especially if those millennials are punks, which I want to say, I think a lot are. I don't think all are ready to be disciples. I think a lot are feeding the narrative and the stereotype, but there are a select few, especially in the church, that are different. And so, um, one of the things though I, I love about discipleship is it can feel like we're going to get displaced and we're just focusing on this one generation. Um, But if discipleship is the key and the goal, then you never get displaced and you never become obsolete or retired. In fact, you become more important because you're the only one that has lived to that level or that stage. You've been through that season. And so um, my, my hope is that my generation would wake up, be more humble, and be able to honor the generation before so that we could better uh, receive the just wisdom that comes from, from generations that have fought for giving us what we have today. Well, in so many cultures outside of the U.S., tribal-related cultures, they get this already. It's how they've true, true. passed on traditions. It was the Native American culture, the Jewish culture, a lot of the African culture. As we have interviewed people from so many of them, they understood that value of passing on the wisdom. Uh, but it, it's, it's a struggle. There's no question it's a struggle. All right. Yeah, so even, even today, for example, I'm, I, I just uh, one of the guys who disciples me is the marketplace leader. Um, he's He's named Raymond. He wrote a book called Business by Design just recently, actually. Um, he's, he owns the architect firm that does most of the architecture for Walmart. 
And uh-huh. so he has the third largest architect firm in the nation. And this man, how hard I could mean, that be? I, how hard could that be? They all look exactly the same. That I bet they're look, not the same, I though. I bet. <laughs> so you could tell him I said that. I'm like, how hard could that be? They all look exactly the same. It may it may not be like the mo- it, it's not the Crystal Cathedral, but it is a very it's everywhere. It's huge. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge market. And so oh, yeah. that, though this guy is crazy busy. And uh, I tell the story in the in the book is uh, when I say frequently following, you might think, well, where do I follow them? And I say invite people into four areas of your life. One, if you can't do all four, but try to find ways for them to join these areas of your life. Maybe it's your personal life, maybe it's your work life, maybe it's your church life. Or maybe it's your family life. Um, all four areas, I've kind of joined different disciples. In the beginning with Kevin, it was his family life. Being around him and his wife and his kids kind of set a new tone for what kind of man I want to be, husband I want to be, father I want to be. Because my dad's not a Christian, and he gave me a living, breathing example of what that could look like. Because they, they say discipleship is caught more than it's taught. But for Raymond, um, he I, I joined his family life a little bit. He's too usually busy in his work life for me to join, and he's on the road a lot. But to this morning, he, I joined his personal life. The dude loves to run. And so 5.40 in the morning, I'm leaving to go run with him at 6 a.m. And I, I mean, it's the second week of my book launch. He just wrote a book a month ago. And so I'm asking him all these questions about, hey, what should I do? How should I guard my heart? Uh, what should be my strategy? And like, um, I just think, what would I do if I didn't have this guy that is walking with me or ironically running with me in life? <laughs> That's fabulous. So you said that not all millennials are ready to be discipled, yet they all no. need to be a disciple. But how do you determine if someone's ready? I mean, so we got a lot of people listening, Grant. I want you to speak to them. So a lot of the listeners listening live are probably of the, well, as you said, they're chronologically superior to you for the most part. As you yeah, said, I yeah. love that. Another tweetable tweet from Grant Skeldon right here, and I work for him. So how do how do we know if somebody's ready? Like we just, let's just say we decide we want to pour our lives into another. How do we find, how do we identify a millennial that's ready to be fed into, that's ready to be discipled? Yeah, I'll try to be quick with this. And I say this in the book as well, but I look for five values. I look for, are they faithful? Basically, is there yes, yes, there no, no. Are they where they say they're going to be when they say they're going to be there? If they're not, it's going to be very hard to disciple them. Uh, so are they faithful? Are they available? Do they make time to be around you? Do they move their schedule around you? So are they faithful, available, teachable? Are they compatible? And then hungry, just to focus on hungry for a while. I, I think that's a, that's a big one is I, from my example, just to give you all some more structure of what it could look like, I'm big on my calendar and all of my Gmail calendar online. So I give access to the, I'm discipling three people now. They can see my schedule and my calendar. And if they want to join me, one of my disciples came yesterday because they saw a meeting I had. But it really hinges discipleship, in my opinion, on their hunger more than my availability. Because I've had some times I give them full access. But if they're not hungry and they're not going to move their schedule and move their calendar and move their time, I mean, location, I can only be so available. If they're not hungry, I cannot disciple them. So that's a key thing I look for in millennials. And I do feel it's lacking in this generation is the hunger to do whatever it takes to to learn and to grow. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, Grant, as we talk about this and and what we're pointing back to is for our listeners to engage with your new book, The Passion Generation. And somebody can call in today and win a copy of this book by calling our listener line at 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK. And there's just so many key elements that you're sharing with us from the perspective of, of a millennial who wants to lead your generation and speak 
speak on behalf of your generation. One of the things, Jim, I, it, what Grant just said that made me think of it is when we mentor people, we often say, I can't care more about your life than you do. You know, yeah, so if they're right. not putting in some effort, if they're not making some changes, if they're not yeah. investing in their own life, but yet I'm willing to, you know, there's a disconnect there. So um, we've had that conversation many times, Jim, with people saying, hey, I can't care more about your life than you're caring about it. So, uh, you know, step up to the plate a little bit on that. Um, so I love the way you've just drilled it down to that. I have a question, though, because in your statement of defining discipleship, when you start with frequently following someone to me that sounds like it's the millennial taking the initiative so speak yeah, into yeah, that I, because jim's question was you know hey i'm a i'm i'm a chronologically superior and i'm ready to in to mentor somebody or disciple someone i'm sorry we were talking about discipleship but but really your statement sounds like it's the millennial taking some initiative there. Let's talk about that. Yeah, and that's what 72 I do with my program. And that's, if I was speaking to millennials, I'd be like, guys, I did this. I spoke at a college this, uh, this week and I said, man, if you are mostly only hanging out with your own generation, uh, which most of y'all are, like you're like Lord <laughs> of the Flies, just raising yourselves, hanging out on an island with just young people. I was like, you're wasting your most valuable time you have when you can just go and follow people. And if you think just college is going to get you a job, like, Right now, statistically, college has a better guarantee of getting you into debt than getting you a job. Oh, so if you're yeah. not That's getting sure. like discipled while you're getting a degree, then I think, man, you're missing a huge window that will just set the trajectory for the rest of your life. Um, and, and I think they got to be hungry, though. They have got to be hungry. And, and it's not always what I think it's going to look like. Jesus, I mean, a dude like the rich young ruler, he probably <laughs> looked successful, like a great guy to disciple, but right. he wasn't teachable or hungry. However, yeah. Peter, who's a total mess up in so many stories, that guy <laughs> still, you can't, you can't deny his hunger. And so it's not always what you think, but I, I say look for the person that's hungry and still sticks around. Jesus calls Peter Satan one, and he still sticks around. And so that tells me two things. Peter was hungry, and two, it also tells me Jesus invested in his life, not just from a distance. He right. must have invested so much that Peter could take a hit like that and say, I'm still going to commit to you because you've invested in me spiritually so much. I know you're not trying to hurt me and criticize me. I know you're on my team. And so I'm still with you. Well, and I think we learned so much from Jesus. Oh, imagine that. But so many, <laughs> so many churches have, have created discipleship programs. They put it in a book and said, follow these things. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus lived life with these people. Yeah. And those 11 guys that were left, those 11 guys and the other people who hung out with them, including his brother, James, those people changed the world. Because yeah. Jesus invested his life into those people. He didn't leave behind a manual. He didn't. He left behind a lot of words that they wrote down, which is fantastic. But yeah. more than anything, it was his life, living his life alongside of them that transformed it. So, Grant, really quick, you said that if in order to recognize as somebody that may be ready to be mentored, discipled, that, that and I use those terms interchangeably because it's, it's living life alongside of them. Yeah, they need to be totally. faithful, reliable, available, teachable, compatible, and hungry. Yeah. You said those three, you're discipling three guys right now. Speak really quick, 15 seconds or less. How do we, where do we go find people like this? If we are hungry to feed our lives into somebody, where do we go? Uh, prayer. I'd say start in prayer. And we'll talk about some practical things, but Jesus has a, has a knack for connecting his people for his purposes, but it usually starts in prayer. 
prayer mm. and willingness. All right, we're talking with Grant Skeldon. He's the founder of the Initiative Network, which you can find online, initiativenetwork.org. But we've got him on today to dig deep into his brand new book, The Passion Generation. The seemingly reckless, definitely disruptive, but far from hopeless millennials. Grant Skeldon, you've been sharing some amazing things, and I want to make sure, I loved your definition of discipleship. And you're saying that the, what the millennial generation wants is discipleship. But to you, give us that definition again. Yes, it's to frequently follow someone who is spiritually a step ahead of you. Frequently following someone that is spiritually a step ahead of you. Okay, so that seems pretty simple, yet discipleship continues to struggle. I mean, it's it's on a serious struggle bus within the within the body of Christ. It's just not <laughs> happening. It's not happening on any... Yeah, I got millennials, so I can use that term because I, I have children yeah. millennials, and they use those terms all the time around It's me. a vintage term, it's, it's I think, It's a vintage though. millennial term. <laughs> How... How do we fix this problem? It seems like people are making so many excuses about, well, they love the idea of discipleship. The church loves the idea of discipleship, yet we seem to fail to actually get it engaging. What do we do? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, you do need to pray. Um, I do think, man, what I love about it is, here's the hard part, actually. Here's the good excuse most people say is, they'll say, man, I don't, I want to disciple someone, but I don't know, like, many young people and i vice versa i know a lot of young people it's like grant how you know all these people and they disciple you how do you find them and i say like well i'm in a lot of rooms intentionally where i'm the youngest in the room and i tell Mm -hmm. them that like if you're not often the youngest in the room you are in the wrong rooms like you need to be around people that are often 10 20 years older than you um and so that but vice versa i would say for some of those in the older generation um, are you diversifying who you hang out with? Because Jesus had a knack for being around people that were very different than him, unlike him, so much so that they would call him a friend of sinners. Like, clearly he was a friend of people that others didn't understand. And so I think that's the nature of who he is. It should be the nature of who we are. It's like, let's tithe some of our time to be, if you're young, around older generations, if you're older, around younger generations, so that we can kind of build relationships. And so that's that's one part. But I think praying. I mean, God connected Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. God connected um, Paul and Simon the Tanner. God connected Ruth and Naomi. Like, he connects people all the time. I was, I was actually just reading about even Jacob, how he found his wife. It's like these very unique circumstances that bring people together. And so he, he he's in the nature of doing that for, especially when it's his purpose. Another excuse, um, I actually would love to hear y'all's perspective because y'all are, among the generation that's being asked or requested to be disciple, what do you guys feel like are some of the some of the roadblocks? Because you guys are in a place where you have a family, you have all these commitments and responsibilities. Um, it's easy for me to say because I have time. But for y'all, what do you feel like? <laughs> well, I think for um, definitely we, it's easy to use the excuse of either being too busy or nobody's going to want to hear what I have to say, or I don't have value to speak into somebody. Um, You know, what do I have to offer them? I'm in the middle of binge watching a new series on Netflix. Yeah, those are all excuses. But but, but I think when when I bring up to people, and I bring up all the time to, to people who call themselves retired, and I remind them, first of all, that they're not Levitical priests. Therefore, there's nothing about retirement in the scriptures about that, because they're not Levitical priests. And I say, okay, you need to be, can you please just invest in the next generation? They're like, what do they want to hear from me? So uh, speak to that. Tell, 
I think there's this perception that what they our millennials want or need um, are around leadership or 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 mostly I think around like you need to be a biblical scholar. So kind of what you guys said is what do they really want to learn from me? And I think it's so funny because. I think older people would be surprised what millennials really. Hey, let's like not use that word. About. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's not use that word <laughs> older. I like the way you said it earlier. Okay. Chronologically, chronologically superior. superior. I like okay. that. Chronologically superior people would be surprised about what they want to like. Maybe it's it's the it's the fatherlessness in this generation. I don't just mm. mean uh, physical fathers. I mean even the lack of spiritual male cultivators and our spiritual fathers in the church. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of millennials that just want to learn what should they be looking for in a spouse? What should they be? How should they figure out what kind of job they take and what they do with their money? Um, how to spend their time wisely, like how to have a healthy, uh, even just a healthy life, like work life balance, um, how to not fall into all the temptation of this world, whether it's pornography or lust or uh, drinking, whatever it may be, it's like, how do I not? Sometimes it's like, how do I just not do what I saw my parents do? Um, they didn't they had good intentions, but I, I see that they're kind of asking that question, like, man, was it all worth it to dedicate so much of my life to my job and then feel somewhat empty, like it wasn't, I lost my family in doing this. And so there's a lot of like real basic life stuff that um, I actually think generations before are very wise in or have at least experienced. There's these lessons learned, if you will. I always joke with millennials, there's that quote, like, we all learn from our mistakes. And I tell them, y'all, no one said we had to learn from our mistakes. I want to learn from the chronologically superior people's mistakes. Amen to that. That is so true. You know, and that's something Jim and I have really valued all of our lives. I guess maybe that's why we're so excited about this grant. The more I think about it is that we have seen the role of chronologically superior people to us and what a difference that has made in our lives. But yet there's a whole lot of people not doing anything about it. So I have a question that I want um, our listeners to hear the answer to, and then we can continue this conversation. Um, We're talking with Grant Skeldon. He is the founder of Initiative Network. We're talking about his new book, The Passion Generation. Grant, oh, and people can call in to get a copy. I want to make sure they know that. 866-713-9675. They may get the copy from us before you can get it by buying it, right? From the sounds of it, there's been such a great demand. But one of the things I want to know is who is this book for? Who should, who do you want to read this book? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really for the older generations. It is for, like I said, it's for parents that are trying to raise millennials. It's for pastors that are trying to reach millennials. And it's also for business leaders that are just trying to retain millennials. Those have been the three groups that I've talked to the most. And it's actually in the table of contents. If you flip to the next page, there's a second table of contents. And that's where I dedicated... These are the chapters you should read if you're a pastor. These are the chapters Uh, dedicated more to you if you're a business leader. And these are the chapters for a parent. And if you're a millennial, these are the chapters for you. But this is a book by a millennial for non-millennials that's on millennials. See, we we had an advanced reader copy, so we didn't have that... The second, the second table of contents. So. Yeah, that's a great addition. So, what what millennials that have read the book though? What kind of feedback have you gotten? Yeah, I, I think you know. I I found there's a chapter, chapter three is the chapter that most millennials really really connect with, and it's called passion, purpose, and provision. And it's really a chapter about how the generations before chose what they would create to be called the American dream. 
and how sometimes that feels like a millennial nightmare is what I say because <laughs> it just doesn't work like it used to. Going to college doesn't have the same results as it used to. Um, the church isn't the same perception as it used to be 50 years ago. Um, the retirement and 401k is like, I was just seeing, uh, I was seeing a statistic yesterday that like, I think it was about like almost 80% of millennials do not plan on like their pension or retirement fund to actually work out for them. Um, mm. And so it's just, there's a there's a lot of shifts in our in our society. Even marriage is viewed very differently. Like this this generation is the byproduct of so much divorce, like almost half. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of big things in life. Like you got to go to college, get married, get a job, um, and then stay there for like the rest of your life. But so much of that has changed. And so this book kind of helps. I mean, this chapter, passion, purpose, and provision, helps both generations figure out how to communicate differently because I feel like the generations before chose their jobs off of provision and this generation is choosing it off of passion and purpose and with and they can't pit them against each other I think we swing swing the pendulum too far so we got all these millennials looking for like I want a job that passionate about and fulfills my purpose and I'm like no one gets that job right away as their first job they have to Mm -hmm. do a lot of stuff that they don't like to get to that job but they're really they're cutting it their parents out of the equation i think and so i've had a lot of millennials actually one just yesterday text me and say man this is so much healing for me to understand why my parents are constantly pushing on me about getting a job that makes better money and this and that it's not because they don't care about my passion it's because they they see care through provision and they want me to be mm-hmm. provided for so i can pursue my passion and so it just creates better better dialogue for yes Grant, it's an amazing book and it's an amazing topic and we're almost out of time, but it just, just speak to the listeners today. You got 30 seconds. Tell them why they need to invest in the next generation. I mean, as simple as one, Jesus did it and that's, that should be enough. It's not only did he do it, he then came back. And I think when you come back, you're going to choose your words wisely. And when he came back, he said, go and make disciples. Um, I also think that it is the most effective strategy. We are here because Jesus made disciples, not because he preached a lot of sermons or sermon theories. Um, yeah. When he had 5,000 right. people, the big, big win in our books, uh, he, he didn't start a church or a conference right. or a podcast. He, he That's correct. Start, um, he left and got on a boat and continued to disciple the 12. And Amen. So I, think, I think it's both and, but more important than the gathering and the audience. Grant Skeldon, we want to thank you. Thank you so much for being on I Work For Him today, Grant. Yes. Totally. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg, where Christ followers are workplaces, our mission field, but ultimately, I I work work for him. him.